So we're going to be continuing in the book of Jonah today, and just a quick recap for those who might not have been here for the first couple weeks. Um, Our story started with God commanding Jonah to deliver a message to the people of Nineveh, and Nineveh was a hated city around the world. Um, Nahum chapter 1 describes them as a bloody city, full of lies, and a city of unceasing evil. And Jonah tried to run away from God's command, but... God sent a storm after him. Jonah was thrown overboard in order to calm the storm, and then he was swallowed by a giant fish. And then chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer of thankfulness for God for rescuing him from the sea by sending the fish to swallow him. And Jonah's prayer is also a recognition that God alone is worthy of worship. So let's continue the story starting in chapter 2, verse 10, and then we'll read all of chapter 3. The word of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So the main point of our message this morning is that God saves anyone who hears and accepts his message. God saves anyone who hears and accepts his message. And as we see in chapter 3, God does this through three very simple steps. Step 1, God sends messengers. Step 2, God gives repentance. And step 3, God shows compassion. Now, step 1, God sends messengers. So chapter 3 starts with God giving his message to Jonah a second time. And I just want to take a minute. Let's go back to chapter 1 and reread the first three verses there because it's going to help us understand chapter 3 even more. In the first few verses of chapter 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You notice how verses 1 and 2 of each chapter are very similar? Like, they're almost identical. In both passages, God gives Jonah a message to take to Nineveh. 
And then verse 3 is where they start to differ. In chapter 1, Jonah flees from God, and in chapter 3, Jonah obeys God. So first of all, what does this tell us about God? It tells us that God doesn't change. His message to Ninevites is the same. He's against them. God's messenger is the same, Jonah. God's instructions to Jonah are the same. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. See, God doesn't change no matter the circumstances or how the people he has chosen reacts to his commands. Another well-known example of someone who had a, a very bad reaction to God's command is Moses. See, Moses did everything he could to get God to send someone other than him to deliver the Israelites out of the hand of the Egyptians. And you can read more about this in Exodus chapter 4 if you'd like. But Moses even resorts to begging God to send someone else. <laughs> As if Moses was going to change God's mind about this, right? Like, it's not like God saying, wait, you mean the Egyptians won't believe you, Moses? Huh, I hadn't really thought about it like that before. Hmm. But... As we know, God didn't take any of Moses' excuses as merit. God chose Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt, just like how he has chosen Jonah to deliver his message to Nineveh. Now, the second thing the text tells us in the first three verses of chapters 1 and 3 is that Jonah does change. God stays the same, but Jonah's the one that changes his mind and decides to obey God's commands. And I would hope any one of us would change our minds after having God send a storm after you, be thrown overboard, and then have a just giant fish swallow you up. <laughs> but the text is saying to us, not just Jonah changes, but humans change. God's character doesn't change and his purposes don't change, but ours do. We change our minds about things all the time. Like, do you know how many times I went back and forth about going with the church planning team to San Antonio? I was incredibly indecisive about it for months. I even went with Jared and Andrew to visit San Antonio one weekend. But spoiler alert, by God's grace, I was able to make up my mind and I decided to stay in DC. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. And Jonah went through his own, we'll call it very unique experience, but he changed for the good. He was, he's not completely aligned with God's will as we're gonna see in chapter four, but he does change enough to the point where he obeys God's calling to, and he goes to Nineveh. But why use a messenger? Like, why does God use Jonah? In fact, why does God choose to use any of us? There's so much that could go wrong or that we would mess up. And we all know how much we mess up. I mean, Jesus is the one exception to this. He was the only messenger of God that was perfect. So, why does God choose to use messengers like us when he can accomplish his purposes without us? Well, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. See, God uses messengers because God is glorified 
when his will is accomplished through weak vessels. And newsflash, the passage we just read is describing us. It uses language like weak, low. I mean, we're weak, but God chooses to use us. And if you're a Christian, he's commanding you to go and be his messenger. And that's just how God works. It's how he did it in Genesis when he chose Abraham. It's how he did it in Exodus by choosing Moses. And then Joshua, the judges, David, Jesus, the apostles, all throughout history to today, he uses messengers. It's just like we said earlier, God doesn't change, even throughout the course of history. It's just how God has decided to bring glory to himself. And it is a privilege to be a messenger for the God of the universe. Now, you may be tempted to think, Aaron, I'm no messenger. I have a different role to play for the kingdom. I don't have the right gifting to be a messenger. Well, it is true that we are gifted differently, and it is true that there are lots of different roles to play and different ways to serve within the kingdom, but there are some roles that God commands all Christians to do. And being a messenger to unbelievers is one of them. God has been using messengers all throughout the course of history, and you are not the one exception. Besides, why would you not want to be a messenger? You are missing out on some of the greatest blessings from God if you are trying to avoid this, this command. Um, just a personal story about my life. A few years ago, God put a friend of mine on my heart his name is Connor, and he gave me permission to share a little bit about him. But I was burdened to pray for Connor and to cry out to God for him. And by God's grace, Connor did accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And it's one of the greatest blessings the Lord's ever given me, that relationship. I got to see him. I knew him for like a year before he knew Christ, and then he came to faith, and for like two, three years after that, I got to disciple him. And we still chat now, like even to this day, like he'll still call me up for like advice. And friends, do you realize that God did the same thing for you? I mean, do you realize that at some point in your life, someone was praying for you? Maybe it was your parents or a friend or your, maybe your pastor. And do you realize that someone at some point shared the gospel with you? Maybe you remember that moment very clearly, or maybe you were too young to remember. But it did happen. Friends, no one comes to faith on their own unless a messenger is involved. And if you don't believe me, let's look at Romans 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And don't misunderstand me. Um, God can do anything. He's able to change hearts in any way. But he doesn't do it any other way except by using messengers. It's how he's always done it and how he's going to continue to do it until Jesus returns. Just like how I was a messenger to Connor, there are people in your life that you can be a messenger to. So I just want to challenge you. Have you asked someone to read the Knowing Jesus book with you yet? 
And for those that don't know, we pass out these resources to help believers read the Bible with non-believers. And we ask everyone to ask at least one person to go through it with them. And I know some of you have. And I've already heard stories about how those meetups went. And praise God for those meetings. But if you haven't yet, please, I just ask, don't let the busyness of life get in the way of God's command to be his messenger. And I also hope you don't think I'm guilt-tripping you because that's not my intention. I'm, tr- I'm only trying to get you to realize that this is an unconditional command of God. And it's something God takes very seriously. I mean, just look at Jonah. <laughs> like Jonah being, again, thrown into the sea and like being swallowed by a fish. Plus, when we obey God's commands, he does amazing works, as we're about to talk about in the rest of Jonah 3. Why not? Why would you not want to be a part of God's work? All right, so let's keep going in the story. Jonah arrives in Nineveh in verse 4, and he declares God's message. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. (laughs) What a message, right? (laughs) You're all going to be destroyed in 40 days. (laughs) And I know Jonah is not the most, like, obedient follower of God in this story, but you kind of have to admire him a little bit, like, in this part. Like, this is Nineveh, the capital, the capital of Assyria, a nation that's been at war with Israel for years and is going to eventually be the nation that overtakes them and sends them into exile. And you also have to consider, like, the distance it took to get there. Like, I don't know where that fish vomited up Jonah, but it wasn't anywhere near Nineveh. Like, Nineveh is almost 550 miles from the Mediterranean Sea. Like, he had a long way to get there. And now he's finally here, and he's risking being captured and tortured and killed by his enemies. I mean, it's quite the situation to be in. But in order to be God's messenger, you have to obey and trust God, no matter the situation that you're in. And you don't have to be a missionary to share the gospel. You can do it anywhere. At home, the grocery store, at work, on a walk, over dinner. The point is, you're never not God's messenger. Even if you're scared or nervous or feel so inadequate to talk to someone about Jesus, like God still uses those kinds of conversations, even if you think it went wrong. Because you cannot mess up God's plan to rescue others. Because God does not change. He will not change his mind about someone's salvation because of his messenger's inadequacy. Just look at Jonah. And as we're about to talk, in, talk about in verses 5 through 9, God shows mercy to anyone who hears and accepts his message. Step one was God uses messengers. Now step two, God gives repentance. So, Jonah delivered God's message, and the Ninevites believed him. But Why? Biblical scholars seem to indicate that during Jonah's lifetime, Assyria wasn't just in conflict with Israel. They were also at war with two other nations. And there was also widespread famine and numerous, numerous revolts within the Assyrian Empire. And there's also like a solar eclipse that happened fairly recently, which I think they're like really superstitious about. All this to say, it's plausible that the Ninevites responded to Jonah's call to repent so quickly because of these convergence of events. 
Another reason could be that Jonah may have had a reputation among Nineveh. Like Israel had recently reclaimed land back from Assyria, and they may have encountered Jonah in some way through that. But most importantly, God has the power to change hearts. What if, by God's divine providence, he used all of these historical events that we just talked about to bring about the heart change in this evil city? I mean, there's no other explanation. Like, people can't change their hearts on their own. We're broken in sin, and it's only by God's grace and love that Nineveh was able to repent. I mean, look with me in Acts 11:18, for example. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And then Romans 2:4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And wow, did they repent. I mean, why did they react so quickly? Like, there's no mention here of anyone doubting Jonah or trying to dismiss him. The text simply says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. And I was doing research on if the king of Nineveh's um, decree was issued before or after the people repented, because in the story it tells us that the people repented then the king issued the decree. But it wouldn't, it'd be really odd if he issued the decree after the fact. I mean, if people were already fasting and putting on sackcloth, like, why bother making it a decree? But the much more likely option is that the author put the people's response ahead of the king's proclamation in order to emphasize the immediacy of the city's repentance. That way, the story is telling us that they're responding to Jonah's message and not just because their king commanded it. And how they repented is something else we can learn from the Ninevites. I mean, their repentance is so genuine that God decides not to destroy them, as we're going to talk about in verse 10. Now, let's look at how we know their repentance is so genuine. One, because it says they believed God. They had true belief in God and his message that verse 5 tells us. Two, because they truly humbled themselves. And the king is a great example of this where in verse 6 it tells us he arose from his throne, removed his robe. It's not something you'd necessarily notice at first, but think about it. By leaving his throne and taking off his robe, he's removing these symbols of royalty from him. He's recognizing his position in relation to God, who is the true king. And everyone else in the kingdom also fasted and put on sackcloth, which are two, two other ways to express humility. So the king's, And the king's decree, it even commands the people to have their livestock fast, and it commands the people to not drink water. I mean, not drink water? Like, that's like Jesus in the desert for 40 days kind of a fast. Third, they called out to God, and that can look like praying to God for help and forgiveness. Four, they turned from their evil way, so they stopped committing the evil acts that warranted God's message. 
while writing this, I felt and still do feel convicted about this. Like, how serious do we take repentance? Do you realize how often you sin? Are you aware of how much evil is in your own hands? No, of course we don't. That's why we should be doing these four things, even if we can't think of a specific sin to repent of. But this model of repentance, believe God, humble yourself, call out to God, turn from evil. I mean, the fact that we're even able to repent is a gift. And having that kind of mindset about repentance changes everything because it's not another burden we have to put on ourselves like, oh, now I have to repent. Check that box. No, repentance is a gift. And what about those who have not repented yet? I mean, doesn't your heart break and yearn for those people? In Jonah 4, God's going to say that they don't know their right hand from their left. They need a messenger to deliver the message of Christ. And I also want to point out something about Jonah's message. Like this message, it did cause the Ninevites to repent, but it was not a hopeful message. Remember, the message was this, in 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Like They weren't given a promise that God would spare them. And we know this because of what the king says in verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The Ninevites are hopeful that God wouldn't destroy them based on who God is, but they weren't promised anything. But our message is different from Jonah's. Like, we have a message of hope. We get to tell people that despite our sin, God made a way for us to have a relationship with him so that we may not perish in hell forever. He did this by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the punishment that should have been paid by us. And that punishment was Jesus dying on a cross. And Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, proving that he's God and that he defeated death. And so now we know we're following a God that's not dead, but is alive. And anyone that puts their faith and hope in Jesus will not perish, but have everlasting life. Like, isn't that a much better message than Jonah's? Like, we get to tell people that not only do they get to escape God's wrath, but they can be adopted into God's family and experience eternal joy for all eternity. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 12, 41, he is the better Jonah. So if unbelievers can repent from a message with no hope, they definitely can if they're given a message with hope. So take heart, everyone. We have a better message to deliver than Jonah's. Embrace your role as God's messenger because God shows mercy to anyone who hears and accepts his message. Step one was God uses messengers. Step two is God gives repentance. And now step three, God shows compassion. <clears throat> so real quick, I'm going to reread verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. <clears throat> so even though God did not promise Nineveh they could escape destruction, he gives them a way out. God has mercy and compassion on the Ninevites because their repentance is so genuine. 
Now, you might be thinking to yourself, hang on a second. Didn't we just talk about how God doesn't change? Isn't God changing his mind in this verse by deciding not to destroy Nineveh? And that is a great question. And please be assured that everything we said about God not changing is completely true. And a good verse to look to for proof is Malachi 3.6, where it says, For I, the Lord, do not change. God's character and eternal purposes do not change, which is incredibly comforting because it gives us a solid foundation for our faith and hope. So what is going on in verse 10? Well, God would have destroyed Nineveh if they did not repent. But because they did repent, he relented. And the word relent is not the same thing as saying God changed his mind. God knew that once Jonah delivered his message, it would cause the Ninevites to repent. God knew exactly what the Ninevites needed to be awakened from death to life. So the answer to our question is no. God does not change his mind. And we even see this in chapter 4, verse 2, where Jonah prays to God about how he knew God would relent from the disaster. He promised because God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now the question we have to ask is, why is God showing compassion on Nineveh? I mean, on top of everything we've already said about Nineveh, they're a pagan city. I mean, what about Israel? For God to show this kind of compassion on a pagan city would have been unthinkable for an Israelite in these times. Israel is a broken kingdom at this point in history. Like, they need God to restore them. Look back with me a minute to verse 3 of chapter 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. You know why the text calls Nineveh great? At first, I thought it just meant it's a really big city because the verse then says it's a three-day journey. But the Hebrew word here actually means a great city to God. God thinks Nineveh is a great city. Even though they're evil and violent and corrupt and hated by the entire world, God still thinks they're great. And, it's, and why? It's just God's character. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he has compassion on broken people. I mean, just look at you and me. What have any of us done to merit God's compassion? Nothing. We need God just as much as the people of Nineveh. And he's not going to hold back compassion from those that call out to him. I mean, he's, you know, God's not going to say, oh, why are, why are you trying to repent to me? I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. And there's no reason to think that God's compassion stops here. And there are other nations today that have no idea how much God loves them. But praise God that we have three missionaries being sent to these unreached peoples. And friends, this is how you can take God's compassion to the unreached by supporting Kendall and the Derbyshires. You can join an Antioch team, and those are care teams that we set up for them, where we'll send them care packages and have video calls with them and pray over them. 
So join an Antioch team and support our friends as they fulfill God's command to take the gospel to other nations. They're laying down their lives to tell people that God shows mercy to anyone who hears and accepts his message. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now, and I'm going to pray to close our time together. And as we pray, be thinking about how kind God was to you. If you're a Christian, there is a point in your life where he sent a messenger after you. And that messenger prayed for you and shared the gospel with you. And then God gave you repentance and showed you compassion. Contemplate that and let it spur you to do the same for someone else. With the Knowing Jesus books or being a part of an Antioch team. And if you're not a Christian, then I want to invite you to receive God's message. You don't have to continue living in rebellion against God. Surrender your life to Christ. Accept his gift of repentance and compassion. And if you have questions about what that looks like, come and find me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about it. Let's pray. God, thank you for just doing a mighty work in the hearts of the Ninevites and showing us how you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And I pray that you would do the same kind of work here, starting in Washington, D.C. And may many people come to know your compassion. And I pray for the people here that we would just reflect on how you've already shown amazing compassion for us. Let it spur us on to share this hope and love with others. And it's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.